Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's up, folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today, on this episode of USFL Spotlight, we will talk with New Orleans Breakers quarterback, Kyle Sloter about his journey to the United States Football League and what he hopes to gain by playing in it. Remarkable story and just the kind of player that I root for that I feel like you're going to root for. Can't wait for you to hear from him. And then, of course, we'll get into my power rankings following week four, heading into week five. Pretty much the same at the top, but we got some moving and shaking during the middle. And I can't wait to chop that up with you. All right, let's go talk to Kyle Sloter. I'm pleased to be joined by New Orleans Breakers quarterback, Kyle Sloter. Kyle, how you doing? I'm doing good, RJ. I appreciate you having me. No, nah, man, I appreciate you making the time. After a really exciting win, uh, man, Sunday, right? How's your body feeling? Body feels okay. Uh, you know, coming into this game, I had a, a few injuries in week one. Uh, had a left hand slash wrist scare um, at the time on the field. They thought it was broken. Uh, x-rays came back negative for that, and it's almost fully healed. Had an AC sprain in that same game, so played uh, with a little bit of discomfort in that shoulder throwing, and that's finally back to normal. Um, and then in game two uh, in the first quarter against the Bandits, my groin popped and uh, never had a soft, yeah, never had a soft tissue injury or anything like that. So kind of uh, a new territory for me as far as injuries go, and it was a brutal one. It's uh, been black and blue and purple and kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's real bad. I got some, uh, some good pictures of it, and it's, uh, it's a freak show right now, but it's, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, moving closer to this next week, I was able to actually get out of this game without re-aggravating it, without tweaking anything, and nothing new. So this is really the first week that I got through without uh, – anything uh, new or uh, re-aggravating something. So I'm hoping these next six days kind of push me closer to, uh, you know, 80, 90% going into this next game. That's wild about your growing there, man. I did not expect yeah. to get Kyle Slutter growing injury news, but I'm grateful <laughs> to have it, especially after what I saw you do yesterday, man. You were taking off running. You were getting licks. Like, yeah, did you expect to get injured in this game or something? <laughs> I mean, so I'll say this, I, uh, I kind of, I think what sets me apart as a quarterback is the ability to play within the pocket and with like, you know, outside of the pocket. So 
something that I was really excited to show and put on display was, uh, you know, the ability, like I said, to play in the pocket, but also to use my legs to get out. I feel kind of like a point guard playing quarterback. I feel mm. like a guy that distributes the ball well, finds my guys in space. Um, you know, so not being able to do that, uh, it's, it's probably helped me in the sense of growing from the pocket. Um, I feel like, you know, I, I, I do feel like I've been a complete quarterback from the pocket, but also having to use my mind a little bit more to, uh, you know, outsmart guys where I normally would have just like run to get out of trouble because I'm a, I'm a former receiver, so I feel like I can move pretty good. And that's something that I haven't really been able to show. I think that the first quarter of the Bandits is really something that was really the only time that I feel like I've displayed what I can be. Um, but, you know, going into this game, I had to move a little bit. Uh, it was kind of something where I knew I could run about 50 percent mm. like speed and I uh, I really didn't want to have to try to test it out. I'm kind of in this mode right now where I feel like it's very – I'm on this edge where I could either get closer to 100% or I could set myself back a long ways. So when I did have to run, I was kind of like, you know, just do enough to get out of the pocket and get that one first down and then kind of like move. It's not – I'm not as sudden as I want to be right now. Um, but it was it was enough to get it done t this last week. It's one of the things that Coach Fedora brought up when I was speaking with him about you is, hey, he can move a little bit. And I was like, oh, really? And then I went and looked yeah. up the laser time, and you're four six five out the gate, dog. Like at six foot four, that's picking him up and putting him down. <laughs> but again, being quarterback <laughs> for the New Orleans Breakers, you need to take care of yourself. You need to be able to distribute the football. But toward the end of the game, you're yeah. in a one-score ball game, right? Yeah, and yeah. the way I understand this is Jay Adams goes up to you and says, hey, go put it up. I'm going to go win us the football game. What was the play call? Yeah. yeah, so, you know, in that situation, we didn't have any timeouts left. Mm -hmm. uh, we knew we either, you know, in this league with the first down, the clock will stop. So, you know, you kind of are in this mode where it's like, you know, a first down wouldn't be the worst thing because you probably could clock it in the amount of time that you have. Um, but really our goal with that last one was we wanted to take a shot towards the end zone and just end it right there uh, so we didn't have to leave it up to kicking. So it was kind of a pick your best matchup. And, you know, for me, Jay Adams is probably the, <clears throat> the best jump ball guy I've ever been around. Um, you know, and that goes to NFL, college. I, I mean, the guy is he's very, very gifted athletically. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, I knew if I get a one-on-one -on -one opportunity, I want to give him a chance in the end zone, you know, because then you don't have to worry about running clock, killing it, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you ice the game right there. So the play call is just four verticals. We're going to go to the end zone where if we get a one-on-one -on -one matchup, throw it up. If we don't, if they pop the cover two on us, which they didn't, um, I was kind of surprised by that. But if they go cover two and just, you know, kind of, um, you know, wall off the end zone with those safeties. I was just going to throw it out of bounds and we were going to kick it and try to win the game there. But they gave us man-to-man -man coverage and just tried to take advantage of it. And Jay made a great catch. There's so much that is going on in your explanation there, right? First thing that I thought when you said, hey, it was four verticals and I'm going to go to my best jump ball guys, Mike Leach and Michael Crabtree, some, what, 12, yep. 13 years ago going, hey, just throw it up to me. I'm going to go win us the football game. But also in there, right, is... Leading up to that play call, it didn't look like it was always going well, and it looked like Tim Lewis from time to time 
was getting yeah. the better of you guys over there at the breakers. So I got to ask, like, coming up to that, when you had to call timeout, the play clock running down, how do you settle down? How do you settle your teammates down? Because it didn't always look like it was going to come together at the end. Yeah, you know, I uh, and I know that everything's mic'd up. I know you can you kind of get, and that's one of the cool things that the league is doing is they allow you to see the play call. Um, you get kind of the inner workings. And, I, you know, I heard Jason Garrett, someone sent me the clip where it's like you get to hear the human element mm. of what's going on. So, you know, there's a lot of emotions because, you know, there's obviously there's 10 different people thinking 10 different things. And, you know, we all bring a lot of football um, expertise and different from different areas and all that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking one thing, coach is thinking another. And at that moment in time, there was, uh, it was, it was critical that we are on the same page. And, uh, you know, I, I think with the shorter play clock, it's easier to forget how much time you have. So mm -hmm. we got one of the original plays and then with like five or six seconds left, he changed it again. And I was like, we just don't have time. Like we, we have to call a timeout. So then had to bang a timeout, which, you know, it, we were in a position where if we take a delay a game, you're five yards further back, which now you're talking about a 55 yard field goal or whatever it could have been, as opposed to a 47 or, you know, doable, especially mm -hmm. with a new kicker and, you know, not wanting to put too much on him right away. He did a great job for us, but so we, we use the timeout and then, uh, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a little bit of uh, emotion, raw emotion there. You know, everybody's worked up. But I think the thing for me is I'm an emotional guy. Like I just always have been. That's what I look like on the outside. But on the inside, I've been in so many pressure situations throughout my life and my career. And, you know, whether it goes back to high school, I feel like I, I really live for those moments, whether it was basketball or football growing up. I really want to – I've always wanted to be the guy with the ball in my hands on the last play. And I don't know if that's something that you're just born with or something that you grow and develop with. But I, uh, for whatever reason, I just love – I'd rather have the pressure on me than leaving it up to somebody else. And, uh, you know, it was something where you just got to collect yourself. We, As a team, I feel like that's something that everyone does well on our team is, you know, we never panicked and – throughout the whole game there are a lot of situations to start panicking and everyone kept their cool and uh you know we we made the last play and won the game i'm with that uh as a as person with a microphone in front of their face i i like to be in control yeah. of what comes next i like being able to lead in that way and i understand that but also the people around you yeah. make the thing go and to that end yeah. you're receiving core dog i mean from sal canella to johnny dixon to my goodness, <laughs> to what Jay Adams means, means to you, Tayshawn Taylor, <laughs> what does it mean for you to have that sort of talent on the edges for you catching passes? Yeah, well, I mean, it's everything because, you know, it's easy for it's easy for the media and everybody to when things are going right to put stuff on the quarterback and then when things are going right wrong to put stuff on the quarterback. You know, for me, I'm so blessed and, and lucky they, they make my job easy mm. so like knowing that I don't have to go to one single guy mm. um in a pressure situation that like you know there's a lot of teams with one dude that like this guy this is the only guy that can get it done in this situation to have four or five different guys and then to not only have that but a cohesive offensive line um running backs that I mean 
my my running back, and this goes completely unseen just because it's not a part of football that, you know, gets the glory or gets the attention. But, you know, Jordan Ellis and Larry Rose, uh, I don't think it was, like I said, seen. But, you know, on the times that offensive linemen aren't going to always win their blocks, like it's, it's a one-on-one. Like somebody, it's like, you know, it's 50-50 a lot of the time. So when they don't win their blocks, to see Jordan Ellis and Larry Rose stepping in and taking over their blocks so then the line, the linemen can get back in phase, it's – it, it makes my job so much easier to have guys that understand their responsibilities and then not only doing that, but doing extra and doing more. So, you know, I'm, I'm a product of great talent around me. I'm a product of uh, the cohesiveness of these guys really wanting to be great, wanting to be good at their jobs, perfecting their craft. Um, I, I bring a little bit more experience than some of the young wide receivers that I have. But one thing that I, I love that they uh, do is that they're always willing to learn from the things that I've learned. The way I learned from the older guys when I was in the NFL, like the Kirk Cousins and the Matthew Staffords. And really, that's what it's all about. If we come with an open mind every single day, um, we just keep building that chemistry, that cohesiveness. Um, you know, the, the sky's the limit for this group. And uh, talent wise, I feel like, you know, I've. I wouldn't go to war with anybody else. So I'm, I'm blessed to have these guys. I'll follow that up with they didn't allow you to be sacked until week three of the season. And you got running backs yeah. that know when they should be chipping as opposed to going and hitting somebody they shouldn't be hitting as an offensive lineman. It's like, hey, I didn't expect you to be there. So the way in which exactly. they're communicating is working really well, too. I want to talk a little exactly. bit about your head coach and your offense coordinator, the relationship you have there. Because yeah. one of the things I thought was most interesting about your team is Coach Fedora doesn't huddle, <laughs> right? Yeah, and yeah. Coach Mazzone does huddle. And you got to find yeah. your way between two guys that I know have fiery personalities. I know a bit about Coach Fedora having covered college football for better part of a decade now. But what has yeah. the relationship been like for you between the two of those guys, one coming from an NFL background and one coming from a Power 5 background? Yeah, so – you know, they are both – they're both great coaches. We'll start with that. So, Coach Fedora is a guy that, you know, he's exactly the type of person that I've always responded to in the way that he's going to be the first guy to get on you and he's going to coach you hard. He's going to he's gonna yell. He's going to dog cuss you, all that kind of stuff. But he's also in that same hand, he's going to be the first guy that loves on you when you do the right things, when you do things well. He's going to be the first guy to – pat you on the back so you know I, I think that his leadership style is something that everybody really responds to um we respond well to the way that he uh coaches us up it's simple as that he's not right now for us uh the x's and o's guy because coach Mazzoni is that um but you know he's doing uh he's doing the job that a good head man does he's leading from the front um, you know, he doesn't ever let anyone slack off. He, he always gets the best out of us. So can't say enough good things about him. This is my first time working with him, but I played with his son, Dylan, um, at Southern Mississippi. We were both receivers there and had the connection in that way. And, um, just, a coach, coach is a great guy. I mean, a guy that, you know, now having dealt with him, I will probably continue to talk to him for a, a very long time. And he's a special guy in my life. Um, Coach Mazzoni, great offensive mind, uh, has taught me a lot about the RPO game. 
because I'm not really an RPO quarterback. That's not what I uh, – that's not a system that I ever really kind of grew into or played in. Um, but understanding that world um, and, uh, you know, trying to grow within that, that's got its own challenges and knowing how to – because it makes everything – if you don't read things right in the RPO system, you're going to get hit. Like, and you're going to get – because you've got a free runner. That's who you're reading. So if you're – when the, the guy you're reading triggers on the run, which is typically him running at you, that's – when you pull to throw the ball, you're going to get hit. So as an RPO quarterback, you got to be ready to eat some hits for some big returns, um, which is something that I, uh, I feel like I'm getting better at. But great offensive mind. He's a guy that listens, and that's something that – I appreciate from, you know, just a player standpoint is when you have a guy, the, the best coaches that I've been around acknowledge that there's great ideas in the room. Mm. So they don't always, it's not my way or the highway. It's, Hey, what are you guys comfortable with? And that's what he does with us is what are you comfortable with as a quarterback? What are you guys comfortable with as receivers? What are your best routes that you run? What do you feel like makes you an elite player? And let's do those things to, put us in a position to win, you know, because so many times it's not always about building around the quarterback. It's about building around everybody and everybody's strengths and weaknesses. So he's a, he's a great leader in that sense. And he understands that there are great ideas in the room. And sometimes the best leaders know how to follow. Amen. I want to talk a bit now about what you brought up a couple of times since we've been speaking is that, Hey, my background is lining up on the numbers and beating defensive backs for jump balls myself. So I got to ask, how do you go from playing receiver at Southern Miss, which I got to say right quick, my mother is an alumnus of USM and she's very awesome. much on the breaker squad because of Coach Fedora. And then yeah, there's the yeah. connection with you. But how yeah. do you go from being a receiver to being a quarterback at Northern Colorado all over again? Yeah, so I, uh, and I'll just start with high school. Um, you know, I had always been a quarterback, uh, grew up, you know, just I, for whatever reason in baseball uh, in football, I was just the guy that could throw. I, I just was blessed with that gift and, um, you know, played quarterback the, the whole time, but was also a, a really good athlete. And um, when I got to Southern Mississippi, they uh, – the new coach. So I, I was a quarterback for my red shirt year. And then when Todd Munkin came in, they made me a receiver immediately. Um, so I, I did that to try to help the team and did that for three years ish and ended up starting some games. I was low on the depth chart, worked my way up and had some injuries happen as well. I was kind of a guy that, you know, if I wasn't starting, uh, which I think I probably in three years got like six or seven starts. Um, but if I wasn't a guy that was starting, I was a guy probably getting seven to ten snaps a game. So not a whole whole heck of a lot. Um, and then, you know, in my going into my redshirt junior year, Todd Munkin brings me in, tells me I'm not good enough to play for him anymore, takes my scholarship. Mm. And, uh, you know, at that point, I was kind of a, a big crossroad in my life where it was like I've got three hours left to graduate so I can either do that and go get a job or – I can try to gut out two years of football that aren't looking good. You know, the dream, my, my childhood dream was always to be a professional athlete. At different times, it um, was different sports, but I always, I knew that like from the time I could dream anything, I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to be uh, Chipper Jones for the Braves or Michael Vick for 
the Falcons. Like I knew I wanted to be a professional athlete. So, you know, you envision, I got this college scholarship. You're like leaving high school. You're like, I'm going to go be a college football player. And then I'm going to the pros. That's what everybody thinks. And then college doesn't go the way you think it goes. And uh, you sit for better part of three years. And I've been playing the position that you want to play. And then I transferred to Northern Colorado. So made that decision to continue on with my football career because you know, my parents, and I, I've said this a bunch to people, my parents are, I credit them with a lot of this because they never let me quit anything that I started, whether it was a science fair project that I got way too deep in over my head. Like, you know, I wanted to quit halfway through, like, no, you started it. Or uh, whether it was football, when I was five years old, I, I wanted to play tackle football with my friends and then come to find out I'm playing right tackle as a five-year-old and hated taking the helmet I felt like my ears were being ripped off by the dang helmet and didn't like being hit at that time in my life and um you know wanted to quit football then they didn't let me so uh when it came time to decide I was like you know I don't want this coach to you know have the final say on you know what something that I've dreamed of doing and something that I love to do so decided to transfer to northern Colorado get there and uh, as soon as I get there, they make me a receiver. So told me I was going to play quarterback for my junior season, played receiver, didn't, didn't step foot on the field. So I went from playing seven to eight snaps at USM to going down a level to one double A to Northern Colorado, didn't play a single snap. And uh, I, I was torn up that after that final game, I was like, man, I just wasted a whole year, um, sat in my car and cried. I, uh, I felt like I wasted my time. I lost 45 hours of credits in the meantime of transferring schools. So I was basically back another year and a half of my education. Um, so it, it was a tough time. And then I go into my senior year and I'm, I'm playing a uh, backup. They said I could be the backup quarterback. And they said that I could uh, while playing receiver. So we go into my senior year, uh, which I didn't even, I thought about not going back for it a, a, point in time I was like you know go back to Southern Miss get three hours be done and uh again I just couldn't quit mom and dad I just had them in the back of my mind and I was like you know what would then you know I I had felt like I had people looking up to me and uh, my brother is one my little brother and uh I didn't ever want to be labeled a quitter in anything that I'd, I'd started so decided to go back and uh starting quarterback breaks his shoulder the very first play of my senior year and uh, go out there and threw seven touchdowns and ran for one in my very first game. Was national player of the week. Had never played a game in, as quarterback. Didn't even practice as a quarterback that week. And, uh, you know, went on to have a great senior season. And that led to an NFL shot. And I just tried to make the most of it. Set a record with 29 passing TDs in your only season <laughs> in Northern Colorado. Last yeah. question I have for you, and uh, feel free to take this wherever, but I always yeah. ask this question to folks like you who have joined the United States Football League in its inaugural season. Yeah. Why did you want to take the opportunity, especially after being at so many different NFL, or should I say walking in the door at so many different NFL franchises? Yeah. Why did you want to take the opportunity to play in the USFL? You know, for me, I think that the the constant throughout my life and even going from eighth grade to transferring to another school um, 
because I felt like it afforded me a better opportunity in sports. I did. I made the hard decision to leave a bunch of my friends in high school to then go somewhere that was unknown to hopefully earn a college scholarship. Um, you know, for me, this opportunity was one where, you know, I, I felt like I could have done another year of, you know, being on a practice squad and picked up uh, probably three, four weeks into a season um, and then bounce around. And then, you know, you're probably getting close to calling it a career because, you know, I'm, I'm 28 years old now. Everybody wants the young guys, the, the guys that are going to lead a franchise for, you know, two decades. And, uh, you know, for me, I've always felt like I can be one of the best to ever play this game. I think that there's a lot of growth that has to happen. Um, you know, I, I don't think that I haven't gotten practice reps. I haven't gotten game reps. Uh, but every single time I go out there in the preseason, I feel like I'm at home. I feel like I am. Uh, that's where I'm supposed to be. It feels like my happy place, like out on that field amongst the chaos is kind of where I feel most at peace, which is kind of crazy. But just on a football field feels like where I'm supposed to be. And uh, the game's always just kind of felt slow for me. And uh, I feel like I see things well, but. To get back to the question, really, this this represented a bet on myself. And I think one thing that I always want to do, especially if you earn the right to bet on yourself, where I know that I work as hard as I possibly can. I know that, um, you know, I spend the time and the, the time watching film, the time taking care of my body, the, the time putting the reps in at practice and uh, you know, the, the off-season reps of throwing in the, the summer heat and all that kind of stuff. I I wanted to bet on myself just like I've been betting on myself from high school to transferring from Southern Miss to Northern Colorado to, um, you know, really now uh, you can play it safe and, you know, probably end your career as a practice squad guy. Um in your sixth year, but I kind of wanted to take the chance on myself and, you know, uh, show the world what I can do in a game situation. And I'm super grateful to the USFL for the opportunity because um, I know there's a lot of guys out there that would kill for the opportunity to go suit up and get some film for an NFL team. Um, but it's a, uh, it's a bet on myself. And that's, that's kind of what I've been treating it as. In my kind of quarterback dog, like, Full stop. This is what the league is about for me. It's one of the reasons that I yep. so enjoy covering it. I love yep. the story of betting on yourself, and I love giving yourself every opportunity to achieve your dream. New Orleans Breakers quarterback, Kyle Sloter. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. I appreciate you, RJ. Thank you. My thanks to Kyle Sloter for joining the number one ranked show to tell us about himself and to be vulnerable. Like you can tell what this opportunity means to him and why he is trying to make the most of it. And he's on a pretty doggone good football team that I'm sure you've been paying attention to. The Breakers are absolutely one of those teams that you have to watch for the next six weeks of this season as we approach the halfway mark of the inaugural USFL season. All right, let's get into my power rankings following week four. I want to preface this by saying, goodness me, we got three of the top four scoring offenses in the South Division, and two of the top uh, three scoring defenses in the North Division. And they're coming from pl some places that you probably did not think they would come from. But at number one, the Birmingham Stallions retain their position as they are the only undefeated team left 
in the USFL. We saw the return of Alex Magoo, and it could have gone better for him. It was a little bit rough, threw for 126 yards, but the defense has been buoying the Stallions basically since the jump. With Scooby right back there calling the defense, John Chavis doing an outstanding job as defensive coordinator. They were able to get a win this weekend without the help of perhaps their second best defensive player in Demarcus Gates. I'm really interested to see if the Stallions can keep this up, mostly because they have been a second half team since the word go. I'm sure that this is really in Skip Holtz's craw as an offensive minded coach, as an offensive coordinator who helped put Notre Dame on the mat with a national championship in 1993. I'm sure that he's looking around going, what do I have to do? Because he's doing everything in his power. He's gone through Jamar Smith. He's gone through Alex Magoo, CJ Marables getting touches. They're throwing the ball to Vic Bolton just as much as they possibly can. And I think they're going to have to try to figure this thing out by this weekend because the slow starts, while being a bugaboo that hasn't come back and bit them in the form of a loss yet, could certainly be one of those things that they are worried about as they go into week five when they face the Philadelphia Stars, who are tied for the league lead in scoring offense with 23.75 points per game. Okay, number two on the list, the New Orleans Breakers. I can see how we can have a little bit of consternation here, but the way that the Breakers offense has been able to move along has been pretty constant. I mean, we're talking about Slaughter going for 397 yards. We didn't have a 300-yard passing game until he went for 397 against the Houston Gamblers on Sunday, all right? He's also had 41 attempts, and yeah, they had the four turnovers, all four coming from Slaughter, right? Three interceptions and a fumble loss, but outstanding wide receivers, Johnny Dixon, Sal Canella, Tayshawn Taylor. We can keep going. Jay Adams getting outstanding production from Jordan Ellis and Larry Rose. They're really moving and shaking. I really love that they absolutely are going as fast as they can offensively. They're picking them up, putting them down, trying to put points on the board. And they have one of the best front sevens, if not the best front seven, in the entire USFL, led by Davin Bellamy. They're doing an outstanding job, really stymieing folks. I mean, they held Houston to just 28 yards on 20 rushes. And going into the season, or excuse me, going into the week, Mark Thompson was the league's leading rusher. They held him to 14 yards on 10 carries. Just remarkable from them. Number three on the list, the New Jersey Generals, also at three and one, like the Breakers, and but three and oh in the North Division. This is where I could say, hey, you could pick a fight with me if you wanted to because of what the Generals have been able to do since losing, like the Breakers, to the only undefeated team in the USFL. Mike Riley continues to make this two-quarterback system work. DeAndre Johnson and Luis Perez combined to go 20 of 24 for 200 yards passing against the Pittsburgh Maulers in their latest win. They have a three-game winning streak. They have command of the North Division. They are going to be tough to beat the rest of the way. I can't wait to see them play the Stallions once again, and really get to play the Breakers once again. Those, those three teams are all fascinating to me. Number four on the list, the Philadelphia Stars at two and two and two and one in the division, very much in that playoff spot for the North Division. And they were able to get a win by the skin of their teeth without their starting quarterback, Brian Scott. Case Cookis comes in and plays a heck of a game, puts in a position to win. And really, I thought, had pretty great command of the offense, all things considered, especially knowing that he didn't expect to be the starter, but knew that he would get his name, number called if something happened to Brian Scott, and it did. 
The defense has been outstanding. Channing Stribling is still one of the better defense backs in this league. Add to that what Jordan Moore has meant to them at the linebacker position. Bart Andrus is in a really good position to continue to take ownership of that second playoff spot in the North Division. And he gets the win against the guy that, well, he was quarterback for in Pop Warner and was on the staff for on a team that reached the Super Bowl with Tennessee Titans and Jeff Fisher. Really outstanding stuff there. Okay, number five on the list, the Tampa Bay Bandits at 2-2 two and two and 1-2 and two in the South Division. The Bandits are doing the best juggle and hide impersonation in the USFL. One week, they look outstanding. The other week, it's like, what, what happened here? They were so adrift in their last outing against the Stallions that we were talking to, <laughs> I was talking to myself going, ooh, there's Angry Todd. And then Angry Todd, yeah, he copped to that. Todd Haley's like, hey, look, I, I, was, I was Angry Todd, Kansas City Todd. I got to nip that in the bud. But I can understand why they kind of felt like, hey, we, what do I have to do to get these dudes to, one, understand what we have at stake here? And then they were getting some questionable calls from the officials. But, hey, if your quarterback throws for 255 the week before, comes back and throws for 125, you got to wonder what's going on there, especially as the Bandits have one of the better-looking rosters in the USFL. And Pepper Johnson's defense has been pretty good. They've been pretty consistent, right? They were able to hold the Stallions to just 3.7 yards per play. So it felt like if they could get some offense from their offense, They'll be right up there competing for that second spot in the South Division as we approach week five. Number six in my power ranking, Houston Gamblers at one and three and oh and three in the South Division. I'm having a hard time figuring out Kevin Sumlin's team, really, because I expected them to be outstanding offensively and maybe need some work defensively. Couldn't be further from the truth. They are outstanding defensively and still figuring out offensively. Clayton Thorson looked like he figured it out last week. Turns out that wasn't true when they played this weekend against the Breakers. You're also talking about Mark Thompson, who I thought had an opportunity to be really what Daryl Moose Johnston had thought he would be, which one of the best offensive players in this league. And he was playing like it up until they faced the Breakers. He was leading the league in rushing offense. And then he met that Breakers front seven. And then you're talking about a defense for the Gamblers, led by Tim Lewis, defensive coordinator, that has been remarkably good. Micah Abernathy had a pick, right? We're talking about Will Likely having a pick. We're talking about Reggie Northrop being the leader on that defense. Donald Payne leads the entire league in tackles. If they get the offense figured out, nobody wants to play the Gamblers. And I'm sure Kevin Sumlin's trying to do everything he can to get that offense to score some points for them because it feels like they could just as easily be 3-1 and one as they are one and three. Number seven, the Michigan Panthers. They had a win. They had a win in front of them, and kicker missed a 21-yard uh, yard field goal attempt, and Jeff Fisher said it best in the postgame. Your kicker has to make that kick. That's not even a PAT. They lose the game 26-25 to the Stars, one that I'm sure that Fisher thought he should have won. I mean, you got 152 rush yards uh, on 12 carries from Reggie Corbin, including an 88-yard scamper in the first half. You put up 251 rushing yards against the Stars. You got to wonder, hey, are we really a kicker away? And there might be some movement over there, right? We saw that the Breakers went ahead and pulled the trigger on that, and it paid dividends for them against the Gamblers. Be interested to see what kind of roster management Jeff Fisher tries to perform as they head into their game on Friday night 
against the Bandits, who I'm sure are going to be looking to try to get a win. And also, there's another really AF, great AFC rivalry there between Todd Haley and Jeff Fisher. Number eight, of course, the Pittsburgh Maulers. 0-4, 0-3, the only winless team in the league. I could leave it there, but I'm also going to add here for the second straight week, they're without their best wide receiver in Bailey Gaither. Though Trey Walker caught nine passes for 110 yards, he was also targeted 17 times, which is a little bit better than catching half the passes that are thrown at you. Kyle Oletta got the start, 15 of 32 for 169, and they just weren't able to do much against the New Jersey Generals and their rushing attack. I get that everybody wants to dunk on the Pittsburgh Maulers. I'm not going to do it. I understand those dudes are out there battling, and I've seen them be in these games where it feels like they could win them late if they have some things break for them that have broken for their opponents. I think they're going to have an opportunity here to try to settle themselves up against a South Division opponent in the Houston Gamblers, but you can still reel off six in a row and perhaps squeak in especially in the North Division, to that second playoff spot. So I'm not going to shut the door on their playoff possibilities. So that means for me, all eight teams still have an opportunity to get one of those four spots as we charge toward the USFL Championship game July 3rd in Canton, Ohio at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium. Your boy will be there. All right, before I get out of here, I want to say again, Tuesdays, we're doing the USFL Spotlight where you can hear interviews with the league stars and really get to know them and their stories and on thursdays we will do our regularly excuse me scheduled programming of college football talk and we got some stuff on tap for you all right that is it for me doses